Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner and I use they, them pronouns. And today, true believers, it's episode 50 and we're taking on our greatest mission yet. Marvel Comics. The entirety of Marvel Comics. Yeah, uh, we won't be talking about the movies here. Yeah, let's let's set some ground rules. First off, no movies. Yeah. Uh, that's a different thing that needs to be built from the ground up. And that's a lot more of who has rights to what. Yeah, the the rebooting of the Marvel film franchise involves a lot more um, burning down entire corporations. Yeah. But we don't need to do that for the comics. <laughs> no, this one is salvageable. Yes, this is more about marketing and distribution than it is about rights and billionaires. Yeah, billion dollar corporations that own 40% of the entertainment industry. Just Yeah, we don't, listen, if you're listening to us, you probably already know all that stuff, so we're not going to get into it. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? This is not the new 52 of Marvel. No. We, this, this is a soft reboot. This is, this is not flashpointing it. Yeah, we're not going to be doing a big old continuity, though a bunch of stuff is going to get cancelled? Well, maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, this is more like a restructure, reorganization sort of reboot. Yes, like I don't want to do the thing that they've been doing almost annually, where they just cancel everything and start everything over from number one, to the point where they've had like, some comics have had two number one issues in the same year, cough, squirrel, girl, cough. Yeah, we'll get to the whole issue with number one issues. We gotta differentiate from all new Unbeatable Squirrel Girl and all new, all different Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl Now and Squirrel Girl Legacies. Squirrel Girl Fresh Start. Anyway, a fresh start. That's uh, that's what we're giving. No, but we, we can't call it Fresh Start because they already used that. Oh, fuck. Anyway. <laughs> and it's a little bit tainted, too, because they used that when they kind of demoted all of their new, hot, new, diverse characters to team comics instead of all their solo series. Oh, God. Okay. Let's actually fix Marvel. Yes. So, I had an idea originally that was very large and very drastic, and it was just kill all the A-list characters. Yeah. I had this image of, like, it would be you and me, and we marched directly into the Marvel headquarters as the new owners. <laughs> it's like it's like one of those Wattpad fanfics. And it's like, oh my gosh, you sold us to not if I reboot you first. Like, yep, we're our, we're your new owners now. <laughs> Man, Wattpad sounds wild. We're gonna recruit Wattpad authors to write for Marvel. Oh no. <laughs> no. Well, no, probably not. So we're not gonna kill all the old A-listers, or? No, but we're probably going to get rid of their solo series, but not really. So here's my thinking, is that we don't want to pull a full New 52 reboot on this because as much as the bullshit that has happened in Marvel, it's still nice to think of that whole legacy happening. Yeah. We don't want to just snip snip our least favorite parts out and pretend like they never happened. I'd rather... So one of the things I can appreciate about comics is that all the bullshit is still canon. Yeah. And so when you least expect it, it can rear its ugly head. And even the characters themselves can go like, oh yeah, that was dumb. 
<laughs> hey, Steve, remember when you were a werewolf for almost a full decade? <laughs> okay. I guess the best way to describe what we want to do is kind of like condense a whole bunch of the runs. Yeah, we definitely don't need as many comics coming out as Marvel has right now. Yeah, we don't need 15 different runs of Spider-Man. Yes. All right, okay, so here's my first hard and fast rule. You only get to be a regular in one comic. Yes. So that means that if Peter Parker Spider-Man has a Spider-Man solo series, then he's the only Peter Parker Spider-Man solo series. Any other Spider-People have to be Miles or Miguel or completely other people. Yeah. And if Peter Parker is a regular in an Avengers comic, for example, there isn't a Peter Parker Spider-Man solo series. The Amazing Spider-Man is Miles. Yeah. That sounds fair. Um, the second big thing that we're going to do is put a moratorium on all events. Yes. I want like five years without crisis crossovers. Yeah. I'd even say don't come to me with an event idea until it's like a really good idea. I'd be chill with, like, a Bat Family crossover, which, I, that's DC, but I don't think there's a, a Spider-Verse level of crossover. Yeah. Where it's all a bunch of associated heroes. Yeah. Mini crossovers. Something small, like when Howard the Duck and Squirrel Girl crossed over for, like, three issues or two issues each. Okay. Not, not world-changing events. Yeah. Because we have to establish some sort of continuity, because... Here's the thing, if you're having a earth-shattering event comic every year, you're not going to be able to really get a, a status quo going. Exactly. Because there is no status quo to shake up. Yeah, if you're always shaking up every single thing, then people stop caring. Yeah, and um, another thing is if we are going to introduce more diverse characters, we got to stick to it. Yeah, well, and okay, actually, here's something maybe we want to debate on, but I was even thinking, put a moratorium on introducing major new characters. Okay. Because, yes, Marvel needs to give its, like, its non-white, non-straight, non-male cast, I guess non-cis is in there too, but I think they have an entirety of maybe two trans characters, um, but, like, they... <sighs> They have plenty of superheroes from marginalized groups, and the issue is that they never get to see... They never get their chance in the spotlight. Okay, so work with what we got for now. Like, instead of creating a whole bunch of new heroes of diverse backgrounds and throwing at the wall and hoping they stick, because a large problem is that when Marvel tries to create these affirmative action legacy characters... They just kind of throw them out there and hope they work and don't really put any support behind them. Yeah. And so in, I think instead of flooding the system with new people, we should look at the people we already have. And we have so many because we already have Riri and we have all of Wakanda. We have Sun Girl. Have you heard of Sun Girl? She's awesome. She would probably be best friends with Riri because she also has a mech suit. Okay. And she was a new warrior, which is possibly why no one pays attention, because the new warriors get such a bad rap. Um, I want new new warriors. That's just my personal... Okay. You work on new warriors. I have three team books that I want to create, but, like, we have Robbie Reyes. Actually, Robbie Reyes gets a decent amount of support. Apparently he's a mainline Avenger at the moment. Okay. The new Agents of Atlas just got established with a combination of existing and count on immigrants from... 
the mobile games and it's all pan-Asian characters. Cool. And briefly Pele, but then it turned out she was just a robot. Huh. Because, well, there's a real Pele, but they couldn't convince her to help her, you know, fight off the forces of Muspelheim. Okay. So instead, Jimmy Woo built a robot Pele. Okay, and given what I know about Pele, that seems the character for her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she is a moody one. Though they also have, did briefly team up with the Monkey King. Cool. And then Monkey King was like, oh, why should I team up with mortals? And then he got laid out by Shang-Chi. And he's like, okay, I guess I will team up with mortals then. That's also very in character for for Sun Wukong. I, listen, my only exposure to Shang-Chi comics-wise has been the Agents of Atlas and their tie-ins. Okay. Uh, which means, as far as I'm concerned, his character is punches people and says, your fighting style's terrible! <laughs> Going from... Um basically consolidating all the comics and the whole no uh, events for at least five years. Yeah. We need to have better communications between writers, artists, and editors. Yes, and also just writers, artists, and editors should stick to... They shouldn't be shuffled around to a whole bunch of different projects willy-nilly. Yeah. We find a writer, an artist, we pair them together... They, even if the writer's working on multiple books, then the artist, well, actually, no, having an artist working on multiple books is probably going to tire out the artist extremely. Yeah. I almost think that we need a higher artist-to-writer ratio. Yes. Well, I I don't think that's an issue. I'm pretty sure there's already a plethora of artists that work for Marvel. And, like, I, see, we, we say that this is more about the industry, but we only know a bare minimum about the industry. But at the very least... I, there are, I don't think there are very many artists that are, like, exclusive to Marvel or DC yeah. the way that writers are. Yeah. And it's not like back in the 70s where it, you pretty much were, like, a Marvel person or a DC person. Like, there are some artists that are heavily associated with one of the big two. Like, Jamie McKelvey is mostly a Marvel person. I don't think he's written for any DC stuff. But okay. he's also done plenty of work for independent stuff, because he's, like, Kieran Gillen's most common co-conspirator. But yeah, and also the other thing is that, like, if you go to the, um, I don't think it's the Marvel website itself, but, like, if you go to one of those aggregators that, like, gives the annual list of which comics publishers will accept what kind of auditions, essentially, like... Marvel, it's like, never send us any writing, never send us any scripts, we do not accept any unsolicited writing examples. If we want you to write for us, we'll find you. Um, but for artists, you can literally just walk up to a Marvel, another artist who's worked for Marvel at a convention and be like, hey, I've got a portfolio, and that'll be like, hey, cool, I'll see if I can pass this along. Yeah. And they also have, like, even in the comics that I've been getting for the past few weeks, because I'm reading a little, just a little bit more Marvel lately... Not okay. too much, because I don't want to break the bank like last time. I was uh, so deep in it. We'll also talk about the whole pricing situation. 60 bucks a week yeah. is too much to spend yeah. for most people. Yeah. Why is the comics industry dying? We'll talk about the whole floppy situation eventually. Um, yeah. Well, I also think, in regards to the artist, like, um, you have to have actual talent to be an artist, whereas the problem with writing at least from what i understand in the general publishing world is like any a lot of there's a lot of people who think that they can just write whatever and it'll get published or they think that their ideas are like super great and all that 
even if they've got zero experience, like I've been a fan of Marvel for this many years, I could totally write for Iron Man. Yeah, like I did see an interview with, I can't remember who, but it was an interview with a Marvel writer who said like, Marvel doesn't take solicitations, but if you want criticism or like you want a better chance, tell a Wolverine story that's never been told before. Tell an Iron Man story that's never been told before. Yeah. Um, I don't really know all that much about like actual comic book writing and comic book art. I also think at least with um, some of the art stuff, like the workload is split between like you have your colorists, you have you have the artist, the colorists, the the letterers. Like there's a whole bunch of different tasks that are kind of like devolved down to different people. So yeah, my whole like maybe we should have a higher artist to writer ratio. It's kind of wrong. Yeah, it's it's definitely needed. Yeah. If if a single artist is doing all the work on a major comic book like that, then oof. Yeah. So at least three to a writer well because there's the writer but there's also because there's the artist yeah and then there's the colorist and then there's the inks, inks and then there's the letterers okay and i think sometimes inkers and letterers are the same person but not necessarily okay so about three to four to one writer yes but like that's that's the way it usually is like i don't think that's that's something that should be yeah. but i don't think it's i think it's already something that is pretty common anyway so i don't think that's a okay. big concern so not a big concern there. Um, and also, you were saying that writers think they can get anything written. I'm, there are plenty of artists who think they can get anything drawn as well. Okay. I don't know. I guess it's just easier to see talent when it comes to art than, you know, writing. See, you say that, <laughs> and then you look at a cover where you think that surely the plot of this is that Sue has somehow absorbed Reed's elasticity powers, because otherwise, how can her, like, voluptuous bottom... And great knockers. Okay, I'm totally wrong about her. Staring directly at the camera from the same angle. Okay, maybe we should have a whole let's actually seek out artists who aren't 14 year old boys who discovered boobs. Let's have all all the artists who are currently working for Marvel draw a woman. Then we're gonna give them to an anatomy professor. <laughs> Anyone who gets lower than a C is fired. Not even an anatomy class. Just take them to, like, a life-drawing class. Take them to a woman. <laughs> Can you pose like this? No. Can you pose like this? No. Okay, these you two, you're out. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, Go man. draw Vampirella. No, don't. She deserves better. <sighs> it's weird when I read some indie comics and so I get exposed to stuff that I'm not used to, like reading a Dynamite comic and Vampirella ads show up and Red Sonia ads, and I'm like, hey, have women ever written these stories? Well, I think Red Sonia was being written by Gail Simone for a while. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I don't know, for all I know, she is a gothic feminist icon. Maybe, I don't know. Email us with your Vampirella hot takes. I think Elvira is actually more of the feminist vampire icon. So... Yeah, better communication between all the various moving parts of a comic book because eventually there will be an event comic and event comics live and die by coordination. Yep. I watched a 10-parter about the rise and fall of Marvel's comic empire and one of the big things that killed Image, well, nearly killed Image back in the 90s was that they were going to do a crossover with another comic book publisher 
to create like a bigger superhero universe. And uh, it was all late. All so late. Nothing came out on time. Nothing came out on time. So let's see. Another thing I'd like to do is not decrease the importance of the A-listers because I think the A-listers, they've been A-listers for too long. Yeah, but they're also like a good way to get into the story or into the universe. I'm thinking decrease their presence. Yeah, because I go into a comic book shop and when I look at the Marvel section, it is dominated by Spider-Man mostly. Spider-Man and Iron Man. Iron Man more because of the Disney movie, or Disney, well. No, yeah, they're, yeah. they're Disney movies. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because of the movies. And Spider-Man, because Spider-Man is all, Spider-Man is to Marvel what Superman is to DC. Spider-Man is everyone's favorite. Yeah. Everyone grew up relating to Spider-Man. Yeah. He's usually, he is like the most kid-friendly. Well, actually, no, he's not the most kid-friendly one, but like, he's the easiest to turn or at least he's been the one that's been the easiest to turn to a cartoon. Yes. So, okay, you know what? Let's talk about something we should do with Spider-Man. Because one of Spider-Man's big failings is that Spider-Man has been caught in a loop since the early 2000s, I want to say. Ever since One More Day. Even earlier than that, 70s, they regretted him marrying Mary Jane. He married Mary Jane in the 70s? 70s, 80s? Something like that? I'm just surprised that, like, I would have thought 90s, maybe. Like, I'm surprised if it lasted that long. Oh, when did... When did Spider-Man first marry Mary Jane? Uh, 1987. Okay, yeah, so since the 80s. I think they also had a live-action version. Oh, yeah. There is... uh, Spider-Man's Wedding was performed in 1987 as a live-action tie-in held at Shea Stadium, which also featured an introduction by Stan Lee. Oh, God. <laughs> it featured, the live televised uh, performance featured Mary Jane and Spider-Man, naturally, as well as the Hulk, Captain America, his amazing friends Iceman and Firestar, the Green Goblin, and Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, what if Doctor Doom officiated? <laughs> I wonder if Doctor Doom offered them, like, a honeymoon in Latveria. <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway um let peter parker grow up yes so here's my specific idea for peter parker and kind of the a-listers as a whole yeah to decrease not their importance but their presence first off like consolidate them all into a single like have an avengers book that's just the classic avengers lineup yeah of go with the disney lineup that's what yeah. everybody's familiar with it's going to be great bait for new readers and then don't have them be like the hallmarks of what is happening in the marvel universe like um don't serialize the avengers line yeah the main the main line avengers like they they have storylines that last three issues at most and like because we have all this incredibly powerful people they're gonna have to be the big world ending stuff but it's like they're able to deal with it in a context where it doesn't mess with the continuity and impact every single other person. It would be like um, a comic book version of the Justice League cartoons. Yes. We, like, we can see character growth and development, but we don't need them to constantly be fighting the same person for a 12-issue arc. Yeah. Um, 
so there's a bit of a thing called writing for the trades where it's like that's how we got the whole 12 issue run thing because that fits really well into a trade paperback and honestly trade paperbacks are the best selling of like the hard copy versions and now it's pretty like a like a five to six issue arc within the series yeah is usually how things shake out yeah but like if we're doing like at most three issue arcs and we can fit in like at least four stories if not more yeah and then as for everybody else they can have longer stuff yeah especially because if it's characters we're trying to spotlight characters that haven't gotten the do they deserve they they will need some room to grow and have enough of a through line through everything that people can get attached to them yeah so anyways spidey though um i don't want him to be necessarily an avenger like he can be an avenger but not in the main line avengers comic i want to bring back the concept of avengers academy yes because I've always liked the idea behind Avengers Academy, and I always liked the idea behind the Avengers Initiative. Now, the Avengers Initiative was something that spun out of the Civil War after the Superhero Registration Act became a main thing. Yeah. And its idea was that they were going to train superheroes in every, every state would have its own team of Avengers. Cool. Now, that makes a lot of sense on paper, and I would have liked if they kind of stuck with that, but the problem was that it basically turned into, like, it was corrupted from the start, and they were forced to become superheroes, and they're like turning, creating child soldiers and stuff. No, that that doesn't work. Yeah. The execution. I mean, they never said this was a good thing. They always said this was a bad thing. But the idea of a fifty-state initiative, it does kind of make sense. Yeah. Because the Marvel's going to have a lot of teen heroes, and there's going to be a lot of kids who if they just go off on their own, they might cause more harm than good. Yeah, so maybe create a support network. And a support network, create an Avenger, or reestablish Avengers Academy. I don't yeah. think Avengers Academy was ever dissolved necessarily, but the comic ended. Yeah, so create... See, the reason the comic ended was because uh, Arcade stole all the students and put them in a Murder World, Hunger Games, Battle Royale situation, and nobody liked that. Yeah... So we're going to create a school for the young, up-and-coming Avengers, and... And Spider-Man's going to teach at it. Yeah. Because Peter Parker was a teacher once upon a time. Mm-hmm. Let him do that again. Yeah. And you know what? Tony Stark probably pays better than most school boards do, so... Yeah. It'd also be nice if uh, Peter had a little bit of his own money for once. He was yeah. able to negotiate a, a little bit of royalties off of when he was running his own mega corporation. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He had Parker Industries going. They almost did a merger with Alchemax, and they were trying to build a super prison that wasn't the nightmare that is the raft. Okay. So, now if we do do an Avengers Academy, we'd probably need to introduce some new characters for that. So yeah. maybe wait a bit to introduce Avengers Academy. Yeah. Yeah, just get, like, maybe a 50-state initiative started. So, like, population-wise, like, you'd have to think that there would be some places where there might only be one person who has any sort of powers or who might be considered a superhero. You know, think of Montana, which doesn't have a big population. It's true. Having a 50-state a initiative would also be, like, great for, like, uh, for heroes like the Defenders, who are the street-level people, or um, Blade, who's dealing with vampires. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, so there's uh, two things I wanted to spin off of that. First off, um, 
I'll get to a more idea I just had about 50 states later on. Okay. Um, for Blade, I was thinking just in general, have an Avengers team specifically designed to deal with magical issues. Yes, I really we like that. We call them the Avengers Arcana. Yeah. And it can be right off the top of my well, actually not off the top of my head because I haven't had the idea for this comic for about five years. <laughs> um, Robbie Reyes, Nico Minoru, um, Erase Lee, I can't remember her last name. Her superhero name is Hummingbird. She used to be like the sidekick of Scarlet Spider. Okay. Maria Erase Lee Penalba. She may be the reincarnation of the Aztec god of war, Huitzilopochtli. I can't say that name. Huitzilopochtli. There. Uh, yeah, so... Maria Reisley Penalba, Nico Minoru, Robbie Reyes, um, who else did I have? And Oh yeah, and Billy Kaplan. Okay, because I was going to go like, your wife, Elsa Bloodstone. Oh yeah, put Elsa, my wife Elsa Bloodstone in there. <laughs> Obviously, naturally. Yeah, and with some obvious help from the Sorcerer Supreme himself, Doctor Strange. Yeah, Doctor Strange can be like monitoring everyone from the Sanctum. Yeah, he can help out. Put Elsa's younger brother Cullen in there. Okay. He's he's great. He's gay, and he was trapped in a hell dimension for most of his life. When he came back, he was possessed by a giant frog demon. Okay. That he now has a moderate control over. That's good. <laughs> so yeah, we could have specialized teams, and then we could have just like general regional teams. Yeah, and um, an Avengers team specifically, like entirely composed of queer characters. <laughs> yes. And uh, bring back Alpha Flight. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Alpha Flight has been around a little bit, but now they're like, the space, they're kind of like replaced Sword, which was Space Shield. Okay. They worked very closely alongside Captain Marvel for a while there. Cool. They've always had a decent space presence. Their training grounds were in space. Okay. Get some of that. Alpha Flight can be like the the um border between the ground level stuff and the cosmic level stuff. Okay. Just deal with the comings and goings, determine if they need to get Earth's Mightiest Heroes to help with anything going on out in the greater universe or if it's okay to leave it and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, is this an Avengers problem or is this a Nova Corps problem? Yes. <laughs> I mean we do have at least two Novas on Earth. Ooh. So, with regards to the Novas, reintroduce uh, Anwen Bakian and the rest of the Bakian family. They appeared in the, one of the Secret Wars tie-ins. Okay. Where Anwen's mom was a Nova, and when she returned to Earth, she was able to give Nova stars to the rest of her family. Neat. So we had an entire family of color-coded Novas, including a dog! Awesome! Zigzag the dog Nova! <laughs> their mom Eve was like I'm sorry Zigzag but we can't give you a Nova star and then Zigzag just chomps it and gets covered in bright pink Nova armor and she's like oh, oh okay Nova dog <laughs> I guess <laughs> can't spit it out at this point so yeah just introduce the entire reintroduce the Bakian family of Novas Yeah. technically not new characters they already existed they just haven't made the jump to the mainstream version but I want them yeah. They were good. Do it, Tanner. I'm gonna do it. Do it. What else? Um, 
events. We talked about putting not, not doing events, but I had an idea because okay. we were talking about the fifty state stuff. What if instead of like just immediately jumping to fifty state stuff, like we lay the seeds for reintroducing the fifty state initiative, and then our first event instead of like a huge crisis crossover with like a villain attacking every single city at once or something like that, mm-hmm. it's just the heroes working to implement a fifty state initiative. Okay, and it can still be dramatic and interesting because we can have stuff like the heroes having to vet anyone involved to make sure it doesn't get corrupted like the last time. And yeah. we can have She-Hulk and Daredevil, they're both lawyers, working yeah. on a bill. Like, maybe one of the plots leading up to it is they're like, we need something that's like the Superhuman Registration Act, but doesn't actively infringe on every single right that people have. Yeah. And so they try and pass, like, a Superhuman Protection Act. Okay. Which is all about protecting them and supporting them and yes ensuring that we know how to deal with them if one of them decides hey i'm a villain now but also giving them the support they need to become heroes yeah because it seems like uh, superpowers come on at uh, puberty and oh boy that is a wild ass time yeah i mean definitely for mutants but also just kind of inconveniently for anyone who's not a mutant yeah Eventual event is creating the 50 state initiative and a better version of the of the Superhuman Registration Act as a sort of protection bill, but also giving parameters for what to do when dealing with villains. And I guess the next topic is going to be a bit more inside baseball when it comes to Marvel, because... Um, this is your court. <laughs> well, one of the biggest problems has been sales. Just sales in general. Yep. A lot of this has to do with really poor marketing, marketing campaigns in general, but also just how the distribution system works. And again, this is an amateur talking about this, someone who's watched quite a bit of YouTube videos, but like not a business major in any shape or form. But basically, Marvel and DC distribute their comic books through a company called Diamond. The problem is that Diamond is basically a cartel. Yeah, and not a, a, a cartel in, like... Like, when most people think of a cartel, they just think of, like, gangs or whatever, but a cartel is actually, like, either one company or a group of company having complete control over a product. And actually, Diamond... Diamond doesn't just distribute for Marvel. They also distribute for Dark Horse, DC, IDW, and Image. Almost everyone, basically. They also distribute toys. They distribute merch. And the problem when it comes to comic books is that Diamond has direct control over the individual issues. And they count their sales based on pre-order. Not just, no, not just Diamond. Marvel counts pre-orders as opposed to actual sales. So how it works is that the retailer has to guess what they're going to purchase from Diamond. Yeah. Based on the solicitations. And so if there's a brand new character who's never been seen before, and there's a new Wolverine number one, they're only going to order like one thing of the new character, and they're going to order multiple things of the Wolverine number one. But then the problem comes in is that some people don't care about Wolverine. In fact, a lot of people may not care, and especially if they don't like the writer, or they don't like the artist, or they don't... Like, it's the third number one for a Wolverine series in the same year, and they're just all Wolverined out. Yeah. Whereas the new character, 
could like if they're probably from a marginalized group they probably have big names behind them or names that people are excited to see get into comics Mm -hmm. so there's gonna be a bigger demand for them but the comic store won't realize that because they have to base it off of the pre-orders they have to base it off what their clientele has asked for yeah and what they feel is guaranteed to sell so they can easily end up in a situation where they don't have enough comics of the new character to meet the demand and they have to order more and be playing catch up for a while. And then they also have a bunch of Wolverine comics that didn't sell. And they can't return those comics. Yeah, they can't just say, well, it didn't work. You can take these back. No, they have to hold on to them indefinitely. Yeah, they don't get any credit. They, they're they stuck with these comics. Mm-hmm. And this has led to a problem where, like, number ones sell really well. As in, a lot of number ones will get over 250 million sales. Theoretically. Theoretically. And then the sale numbers plummet for the number two. And part of that is that... Part of it is that collectors don't understand that comic collecting became a thing because of the scarcity initially. Yeah, so this all goes back to the speculation boom of the 90s. And the sale of very, very rare comics like the first issue of Superman, the first issue of Batman. But here's the thing. They are rare because of how many of them ended up in the garbage or ended up in the burn barrel. My dad used to read, uh, he wasn't so much into the superhero comics, he was more into like Sergeant Rock and Nick Fury and all that. And he had a sizable comic book collection as a kid. Guess what happened? They ended up in the burn barrel, thanks to my grandma. Like millions of other copies of comic books. So because all of those comics got destroyed, finding a number one um wonder woman is extremely rare and thus it's valuable but um when event comics started to become a thing and marvel and dc noticed a rise in sales for those comics they decided oh yeah we're gonna like totally max out on this basically like we're gonna have all of these events that are gonna sell big and are gonna be valuable in the future we're also gonna have all the variant covers on them and all of these other gimmicks and then the comic book scene, like the, the entire comic book scene, yeah, it crashed hard yep. in, the, in 1996. They just devalued because there's too many. You have too much supply and not enough demand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's basic economics right there. <laughs> it's simple geometry. <laughs> Says the two art natures. <laughs> Yeah, um, I actually listened to an interesting podcast about um, the origin of Magic the Gathering. And they were also going through a speculation boom at roughly the same time. And what uh, Wizards of the Coast did was basically burst their own bubble. So what they did is um, they knew that there were a couple cards that were like genuinely like fan favorites, but also really rare, really valuable. Um, so they decided to basically kind of stop printing those or have very limited printings of those particular cards, like the Black Lotus card, I think is one of them. Yeah. And then just pump the market with all of these other regular cards and basically just like stop the bubble now before it got too big and the bottom fell out and we would be hit even more. And they've recovered. They're they're actually doing pretty good. Yeah. From what I understand, magic is kind of like crack. Um, but yeah, Black Diamond, or not Black Diamond, that's a cheese company. <laughs> <laughs> Diamond Publishing basically has a monopoly over it as the situation as well, over yeah. comics, shipping, and distribution. 
Which also means there's also basically no quality control. Yeah. I, I, I did a quick Google, and I was surprised at all the horror stories I hear. I guess I've just been extremely lucky that I've managed to get a whole bunch of good issues. But also, I probably never see... If, if my local comic shop is getting terrible quality shipped to them from Diamond, then it's potential. I probably don't see those. Maybe yeah. all the comics I see put on the shelves is only half a package that they got because the rest was damaged. I don't know. Yeah, so now you also have to deal with a, dealing with a lot of loss, basically. And it's not like you could put that stuff into good use other than taking it to a recycling depot. Like, that's all you can do with it at that point. It's not like working at a grocery store and you have produce that's a little bit on the old side and you can give it to a charity. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure what the solution to this is. Other than breaking up Diamond? Yeah, break up Diamond and also find a way that it's not... The pre-ordering and the store's ordering comics isn't based off of speculation. Yeah. Because another big factor is the price. Yes. $6 for a floppy is silly. No, no. Like, I can get a glossy gossip magazine like Hello Canada for... In fact, let me get my copy of Hello Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is, to be fair, a double issue. So this covers the month of um, July and August. Okay. Yeah. And it does go for uh, $6.99. But it's got, like, 98 pages of content. And probably the same ratio of ads to writing as a Marvel comic does, for example. Yeah. In fact, I'd say, like, it's more pictures to writing. Yeah. So that's a way better deal for purely words. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, we're stuck in a situation where we do have to... Except that, the, like, for the time being, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of ads in comics, anyways. And like, what? That's I'm. Yeah. I can live with that. That's that's fine. fine. And we do have to pay our writers and artists a fair wage. Yes, like that. That comes back around to the solution being maybe not having as many comics. Yes. Like many, maybe only have twenty five series, and then perhaps a rotating group of mini series. Yes, maybe if we could break up. Uh, diamond and if we could somehow get the comic books back into grocery stores yes so that they become an impulse buy once again mm-hmm. then we can make more money and kid-friendly imprints yes not necessarily to the degree that the imprints don't affect the canon of the rest of the marvel universe but like you know that if you see the marvel junior header that your child 10 and under is able to read this and they don't have to worry about getting sexualized images and ultraviolence thrown directly at their face. Yeah, like, I've got a cousin... cartoon mischief. Yeah, I've got a cousin who's five. He's really into comics, but he lives in a small town, so there's not going to be a comic book store, just period. There isn't Mm -hmm. money there. Um, he He doesn't live far from a larger town, but, like, even then, that's a heck of a drive in Manitoba. (laughs) So he's not going to get comics regularly. And yeah, there's the digital stuff. Well, we're also going to put money into the digital scene by also making those cheaper. From what I understand, it's just as expensive to get a digital copy of a single issue as like a physical copy, if not a bit more expensive. 
And I've seen this mostly from US comic book fans, so I can only imagine what the markup is here in Canada. Because, yeah, oh yeah, up here in Canada, there's a fucking markup on every single fucking book. Yep. Yeah, it's this weird trade thing. I We get screwed over all the time, basically. Yeah. Like... American listeners, if you're ever up here in Canada and you go to, like, our version of Barnes & Noble's chapters and you're to look at the book prices, you'll notice American, reasonable price. Canadian, at least $5 more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's... (sighs) It's ridiculous. Like, okay, I understand currency shit. Like, there's two Canadian dollars to the pound. Normally. If not more, for whatever reason, I'm surprised that the pound hasn't been devalued because of Brexit. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, the amount of markup we we've got to do, and like that isn't even to deal with like special Canadian prints because of language stuff, because that doesn't happen. That only happens to our food packaging. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to include the French somehow. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Dropping the prices, getting the comics into more available prices, having a junior imprint, and this has been bandied about, and it's an idea that I do like as a way of getting more kids into comic books, because the general demographic who buys comic books hasn't really changed since the the late 1980s. Yeah. Yeah, it's mostly white guys, and it hasn't even been, like, new white guys moving in. It's been the same Gen Xers for a very long time. Exactly. And all these kids, they're getting into superheroes via movies and cartoons and video games. Which is great for them, but it's not helping the comics industry. Yeah, if you don't have a way to get them while they're young and get them reading your shit. I shouldn't be so aggressive, but like, this is a, this is a, I'm sorry, Gen Xers, you're in your 40s. Just accept the fact that you're getting old and that you need younger people coming in to replace you. Exactly. And like, here's the thing too, like, yeah, there's going to be drop off of comic book readers as these kids grow older. It's just a thing that happens because not everything fits everybody's tastes. But hey, if you can create a steady core demographic that is still like you're getting new people coming in yearly. It's sustainable. You want them to be invested in the characters. Yeah. That's, that's another thing. Like if you're canceling stuff, six issues, 12 issues in, if you're constantly shaking up and changing what's going on with people every year or every three months because of an event comic, then these kids who are trying to get into comics, they're not going to understand. They're not going to like that their new favorite hero has been pushed on the sidelines. And they're not going to stick around very long. But you hear about people who have been fans, like I think especially fans in the 90s, and especially X-Men fans. Yeah. There are people who will fall on their swords for Jean Grey. (laughs) uh, Because they've seen her, they've seen her grow and develop, and all of their stuff, and clutch her head and shout Scott's name 7,000 times. (laughs) (laughs) Scott! Why is she still with Scott? Like... I don't know. I can't remember if she... I can't even remember if she's alive right now. (laughs) There's a couple that can... That doesn't have to be together. But the point being, like, characters... I'm sure there's other characters outside of the X-Men, but I think for 
I think it's most of the X-Men that people have strong emotional attachments to because they've yeah. been around for a while and people have seen them grow and develop and go through all the Marvel stuff and they're invested in them. And so even when the like stupid choices are made, like they're, they're going to be scared off, but they're still going to be watching. And when they see, if you make a bad Jean Grey comic, people are going to jump ship, but they're going to keep watching until you make a good Jean Grey comic again, then they're going to hop right back on because they care about yeah. Jean Grey. And then and just replace Jean Grey with whatever other comic character you're highly invested in. And here's the thing about the age that we're living in. Like, we've got the internet now. Like, if you're worried about younger readers or new readers not knowing what the continuity is, like, if you get a continuity going, you know what? There's Google. There's going to be plenty of summaries out there of what's happened over the past while. Well, also, this is something that Linkara brought up, and it looks like they're only finally starting to do this, but use your social media as a company to give highlight reels of characters and events so that people who don't want to drop $50 on a whole bunch of like issues or a whole bunch of trades to understand what happened, they can just get the gist of it. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of... Okay, except for the whole distribution situation, because that is like a lot of inside baseball who owns what trying to break up a monopoly situation, the, a lot of these solutions are really simple when you think about it. Yes. It's just, you know, getting people on board with these ideas. Yeah, don't be greedy. Yeah. Writers and artists can be greedy because they need to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else, you, you've eaten enough. You don't need to eat anymore. Yeah. And the lower level editors because they got to deal with a lot of bullshit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Also, try not to get writers who are chronically late. Well... If they're late, it's usually because they're overworked. Okay. It's not like back in the day where it's like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, even back in the day, it was probably because they were overworked, but also it was a little bit of their own hubris. Yeah. I'm talking mostly about the image guys, and that was yeah, a lot Liefeld. of- Yeah, Just because you think you can draw doesn't mean you think you can write. Liefeld here thinking, I'm going to write 17 different ongoing series for image. Yeah. I think at one point someone had to like- one of his editors had to actually, like, go to his home and have him complete one of the issues in person so that it could get done on time. Jeepers. Yeah. But we won't be working with Rob Liefeld because fuck Rob Liefeld. Yeah, fra... Go away. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other specific ideas other than fuck Rob Liefeld? <laughs> um, what do you think of a um, Marvel Jump? I'm torn because even the concept of Jump is a little... Like, seeing that huge brick of comics, that's a little bit intimidating. And that's... It's harder for that to be an impulse buy. And if you only like one or two of the characters in that, then it's going to be harder to justify buying it. Hmm. And also, again, the paper prices and the markup in Canada. Yeah. But on the other hand... It's a good way to showcase newer characters. It's true. Maybe just like an annual. Okay. Or a quarterly. Semi-annual. Okay, semi-annual. Yeah, it. it's also one of those, like, when people bring up, like, maybe turning the, the big two more into something like the Japanese comic book industry. So you have to remember very different cultures, very different ways of doing stuff and very different yeah. attitudes towards comics. And also just a, a completely different uh, 
economic situation. Form. Yeah, like we're we're just kind of scooching things around to make things easier for everyone involved. This would be yeah. a complete overhaul. Yeah, I could see, an, but also like. One of the ongoings could just be a rotating showcase that has a different person or groups of people every time. Okay. That would be cool. Um, a continuity person. Yeah, like Marvel needs a series Bible. Yeah. I don't think they have that. Yeah. Someone whose sole job is to manage the Bible and manage whatever whiteboard they have that details like who's doing what. Yeah, and it's, I don't think they've ever run into huge issues of forgetting important facts about their continuity. I think it's more about people's huge, grandiose plots encroaching on other characters, and all of a sudden writers who are trying to write their own story get caught up in an event or a crossover or something where if they, like, if they deal with it, they have to kind of derail all their plans, and if they don't deal with it, then everyone's left wondering, well, why didn't this affect this character that it should have? Yeah, and that goes back to the whole communication problem. It doesn't seem with some of these crossovers that anybody's talking to each other. And it's almost like you need to have like a weekly meeting to go, okay, what have you done? Here's where everyone is. Yeah, here's where everybody is so that we're all on the same page. We're not saying like the editorial staff needs more control over the creative staff. It's more like just talk to each other. Yeah. So in honor of this being our 50th episode... I think we should go collect our Marvel No Prizes. <laughs> yep. And while we do that, we'll leave you guys with a friendship promo. Oh, hi there. I didn't hear you come in. Um, my name is Janine. And this? This is Down to Friend. It's an interview podcast where I sit down with some of my favorite content creators. Just small average Joes that don't really have blue check marks 10,000 followers and uh, mass following so I can shine a light on them and just celebrate them for the wonderful people they are get to know them a little bit better and maybe learn something along the way um, you can be able to find this where you find any podcast and check us out up on twitter at down to friend in order to submit your questions whenever we have a new person to interview, remember, if you're DTF, my DMs are open. And we're back, true believers. <laughs> Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet? I can be found at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A. That's my Twitter handle, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. And you can also find this very podcast at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod on Twitter. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and it's pronounced BAMF! <laughs> and you can find this very podcast on Instagram at Not If I Reboot You First. That's Not If I Reboot You First, all one word. And the, uh, the hashtag is N-I-I-R-Y-F, also pronounced snicked. <laughs> you can also email us at notifyreboutyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or your plans to fix the comic book distribution industry. You could also ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea because we like to be surprised. 
If you'd like to support us more directly, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash first, where you can get a bevy of bonuses by supporting us financially, including a weekly shoutout for all of our patrons, including Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. You can also rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and if you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pachu, and her work can be found at ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. Lindsay. Danner. Happy episode 50. Woo! Uh, for reviewers at home, this was just the first of our four-part anniversary yeah, month. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Woo. So if you couldn't tell, episode 50 was the big one where we did a big thing. Uh, episode 52, our year end, will be a Q&A. Uh, episode 53 will be our return to Once Upon a Time. Yes. But next week, episode 51 will be live. Live from Queen City Anifest. It's not if I reboot you first. And so we might actually see some of you next week, but not if we reboot you first. Bye. So what I'm saying is that the Marvel Universe is kind of swimming in supers. <laughs> okay. And that's, ju that's just assuming that it's because of random events causing a mutation or a pterogenesis or a super empowering. Like, they could also just be huge nerds who are able to build their own sets of Iron Man armor. Or they could just be Punishers who decided, I have a big stick. <laughs> I'm gonna go fight Doctor Doom. <laughs>